Okay, we're beginning here on the top of Dalad Amun Aleph, about eight lines down. Rabbi Zeyra Amar. So we're continuing what we had been discussing before regarding Chatzot Alayla about midnight. Gemara wants to know, how did David Melech possibly know when midnight was if Moshe Rabbeinu himself did not know when midnight was? Gemara's answer was that Moshe Rabbeinu did not know, and therefore he said, Ke Chatzot, he used the Kaf HaDimyon to say, around Chatzot. And David Melech had a nace, a miracle that took place where the wind would come and play on his instruments in order to wake him up at that time. Now an alternative answer that's been given is by Rabbi Zera here. Rabbi Zera Mar Moshe, the Olam Havayada. Truthfully, Moshe did know what time midnight was. And so then it's not a surprise that David himself also knew when midnight was. The cave did David Kinor According to Rabbi Zeru, who says David knew when midnight was, was he need the musical instruments to play? When it says, Lito Rei to wake him up. It was in his alarm clock. The cave did Moshe Aviyadah And if Moshe knew exactly when Chatzot midnight was, then why does he use the Kafa Dimyon? Moshe Kasavar Shemayitu. That's the Paro, because maybe the astrologers of Paro would make a mistake. Moshe that Moshe is a liar. The Marmar, because we have a statement from Derech Eretz, Persons say, I don't know. Even when they do know, but if it's not exact, if they're not exactly sure, they should say, I don't know. Because maybe they will be found to be off, or misquoted, or a false statement, and then people will catch them on that, and they won't believe them. Now, that's a very interesting, Rav Chaim Shulevitz in Sichud Musar mentions this is an amazing thing. Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't willing to say Chatzot Alayla, even though he knew when midnight was, and he knew Hashem would do it exactly at midnight, for fear that Paro's astrologers, it's Tagnine Paro, would then say, Ah, oh, look, Hashem didn't do it exactly at midnight. Can you imagine this? Hashem comes and kills every Bechor, in Mitzrayim, does exactly what he says, but they say he was off by a minute. He came at 11.59 because their clocks were off, and therefore they won't believe him. So B'chaim Shalavit says that tells us something about the psychology of man, that when a person wants to deny something or not bear the responsibility of what the meaning of such an event is, they'll look for any reason to get out of it. And even the smallest thing they will use to justify their position. So over here, the obligation that this would entail if God did punish the Mitzrayim, if God was the true God, they didn't want to bear that responsibility, so they would find even the smallest way out. And we have to be careful ourselves in the same way, that we don't try to justify our actions, or we don't try to shirk our responsibilities by looking for a small out or a way out of the situation. Ravashi gives another alternative, which is, The Moshe Rabbeinu was actually standing on the night before Makat Bechorot, right at midnight. And then he's speaking to Bnei Yisrael right at midnight, on the night before Machat Bechorot. So he says, Tomorrow, just like we're standing at midnight tonight, tomorrow, that God says, I will then pass over Mitzrayim, and I will have the Makat Bechorot. So when Kechatzot, he was, the Kafa Dimyon is used to describe where they're standing right now. We're standing at midnight the night before. He's saying, just like at midnight tonight, tomorrow night, this exact time, that's when it will take place. So we have three answers as to why Moshe used the Kafa Dimyon. One is because Moshe was not certain as to when midnight was. The second one was in order to make sure that the astrologers of Perot did not deny the fact that Hashem came exactly at Chatzot in case their clocks were off by a bit. And the last one is that Ravashi says that they were standing at midnight and he's saying just like tonight at this time, tomorrow night, that's when God's going to come, Hashem's going to come and perform Makat Bichorot. So the Gemara continues. With David, Shamran Nafshi Kechasidani. Now, truthfully, this is not a pasuk. It's uh, two psukim put together. In Tehillim Petzayin, it says, Tefillah le-David, Hatei Hashem oznecha neni, ki ani ve'evyon oni. So the Gemara just took le-David from the first pasuk, and now in the second pasuk is, Shamran nafshi, bi chasid ani. Watch over me, take care of me, because I am a chasid. I am someone who has found favor in the eyes of Hashem. 
This is what David was saying to Hashem. They sleep in until the third hour of day. I get up at midnight in order to praise you. So look at me, the king versus all the other kings. Aren't I a chassid? The other one says, this is what David was saying to Hashem. They gather multitudes of people together for their own benefit, for their own honor. My hands are dirtied with blood, and fetal sacks, and placentas, in order to make sure that a woman is mutera to the bala, mean that he was asuk in tarot, dealing with things of tuma and tara. As to whether it was Dam Nida or Dam Tehora, as to whether this was a really a Leida, was this a birth, it was not a birth, and to determine what the status of the woman is. I was involved hands-on in the halacha, in what we call, quote-unquote, dirty things, things that most kings would not get involved with, and I was. Not only that, but I check whenever I give halacha, I have my Rebbe Mifiboshet there, and I check with him, I say, did I do okay? Rebbe. I say to my Rebbe Rufioji, Yafed Danti, Yafed Chayavti, Yafed Zakiti, Yafed Taharti, Yafed Timeti. And I asked him, did I do right? Did I adjudicate this case correctly? Did I obligate someone correctly? Did I exonerate someone properly? Did I make them tohor, tamei properly? Velo boshti, and I was not embarrassed to hear that I was wrong. If he was wrong and he corrected me, I wasn't embarrassed about it because I wanted to get to the truth. I'm Rabbi Shua, Braid Ravidi, Maikra. What's the Pasuk? It says, I speak about your words of Torah, in front of many, here it doesn't necessarily have to be in front of kings, in front of royalty, I'm not embarrassed if someone corrects me, I want to know the truth, and Torah is paramount here, it takes precedence over my personal kavod, I want to get the answer right. So now Gemara says about David HaMelech's Rebbe, or there's another gear, so it's Ish Baal Shemo, so Lamanei Kra Shemo Mifi Boshet, because he used to embarrass David sometimes when it came to halachic decisions. For that reason, David was zochem, merited to have a child born to him named Kilav. His name is not Kilav, but rather Daniel. So then why was he called Kilav? Because he put to shame if he boshed in Allah. He was such a Tamar Chacham. So he came back, Kilav, that he took care of his father. The conjugation of Kalaev, Kolav, that he took care of his father, that he put to shame the one who was embarrassing his father. Now what's very interesting about this, that there are two psukim, one psukim is found in Shmuel Bet. In the beginning it talks about the sons of David. And in the list of the sons of David, the second son that David has from Abigail is Kilav. In Divrei Yamim, the same list has the son listed as Daniel, and that's why the Gemara here says his name's Kilav. His name is Daniel. What's also interesting is that we hear nothing about this child in the Navi. The Gemara here is filling in almost like a missing part of the story, because the children that are listed there in terms of order for David are basically what would be the crown princes. They're the ones who would take over as the kings, so the firstborn is Amnon, who we know eventually gets killed by Absalom. The second one listed there is Kilav. The third one is Absalom. And then the fourth one is Adoniah. So all of those ended up trying to become the king and were killed out. The only one who we don't have a story about is number two, which is Kalev. And here the Gemara fills it in that Kalev was a Talmud Chacham. He was someone Asuk Be'alacha. And he took care of David in the spiritual realm on the Torah side. 
And that's why we don't hear anything about him in terms of the political side of it, where the other brothers down the row all end up trying to take over the kingdom, whether it was Amnon who was the crown prince as the firstborn, Absalom who leads the rebellion, and later on Adoniel who leads the rebellion at the end of David's life until it's finally given to Shlomo Amalek. And Shlomo in Mishle describes the feeling of a father towards a son in this situation. My child, if you are a wise man, then I will rejoice along with you. I mean that a father is not jealous of the son's erudition, but rather the son then is the protector of the father. If you are wise, my son, I will rejoice. And then I will be able to respond to those that embarrass me, those that reproach me. Or again, it could be that through this son, he will be able to respond to those that have embarrassed him or have reproached him. So David Melech took pride in this child who was able to come to his assistance and to return the quote-unquote favor to his Rebbe by having a son who was greater than his own Rebbe and that could show him up in halacha. David, mi chasid? Is it possible that David would describe himself as a chasid? Vaktiv, of a puzzle that says, Lule amanti, lirot that if it were not for the fact that I believed in Hashem and trusted Hashem, that I could see the good of Hashem in the land of life, meaning Olam Abba. Why are there dots above the word Lulei? I know for certain that you pay back tzaddikim appropriately in the future in Olam Abba. I don't know if I am amongst them. Even though I've done all this good and even though I've been a tzaddik, I'm not sure why. Because maybe I sinned and the sin took away all the good that I did. Rabbi Yaakov Yidi says the same thing by Estiram Sukim by Yaakov Avino. It says, Hashem promises Yaakov when Yaakov is going out to Haran that he will be with him and he will protect him, he'll take care of them. And his way back, it says, When Esav is approaching, Yaakov is in fear. What is he in fear of? God already told him he's going to take care of him. I know that Hashem said he will take care of me, but maybe I sinned in the interim, maybe I did something wrong. And I forfeited that protection of Hashem. Daniel, we have a bright thought that says something similar with regards to the Pasuk and Azyashir. kanita. So it says it twice, the Pasuk is repeated. Until your nation passes through. Now over there it's talking about the Yamsuf, but the Gemara is referring to the Yardain, coming across the Yardain and entering the Eretz Yisrael. So is the first time they crossed the Yardain. kanita. The second time they crossed the Yardain. So based on that, the Gemara says, Ajivaram Chashem Zubiarishonah. That's the first time they entered into Eretz Yisrael. Then, Ajivaram Zukaneta Zubiashnia. That's the second time they entered. When they returned from Galut Bavel in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, that's the second coming. Bikan Amru Chachamim. The Chachamim said about this, That the return of the exiles in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah should have been the same miraculous way that they had left Eretz Mitzrayim and come into Eretz Yisrael. It should have been of the same nature. Yet, why did that not happen? The sin caused it to be diminished and that they were not worthy then of such a return and they had to return under the auspices of Koresh, under the Persian kings who gave them permission to return and to live under their rule and generally for almost that whole time except for the period of the lived under the dominion of other nations and not as an independent nation. 
But it should have been that way. It wasn't because the garamachet, the sin caused it to change. So so too, David and Yaakov had that same fear. Even though either they had promises to be taken care of or that they felt they were tzaddikim, nevertheless, they were always fearful of losing that reward that they were entitled to because they had sinned. So now the Gemara goes back, the Chamim say until midnight. So the Gemara wants to understand what is the position of the Chachamim based on. Chachamim commands Svirluhu. Do the Chachamim hold like? Do they hold like Rabbi Lezer or Rabbi Gamliel? We said before that the Machlok between Rabbi Lezer and Rabbi Gamliel is a fundamental Machlok, and how we understand Ubishach Bacha when you go to sleep. Ubishach Bacha mean literally the action of going to sleep. So that's at the period of time when people normally go to sleep. That's the position of Rabbi Lezer, and that's why it's from Tzedek Chachamim until until they first watch, in the time before the advent of electricity, people went to sleep during that period of time. Whereas Rabbi Gamliel believes, Ushach means all the time that people are sleeping. When people are sleeping is the entire night, from Tzedek Chavim until the next morning. So now, who do the Chachamim hold like? Who are they interpreting the Pasuk Ushach like? And then how do they get to Chatzot? So if they hold like Rabbi Eliezer, then it means at the time that people normally go to sleep, then why don't they say until... The end of the first watch. Why are they going to midnight? If they hold like Rabbi Gamliel, they want to say the entire night. So what is their position based on? And this we know already. They really hold like Rabbi Gamliel that the meaning of the word means the time period when people are sleeping, which is the entire night. So why do they say only until midnight? In order to distance a person from an Avera, in order to stop them from sinning. Why is that? The Chachamim made a gate around their words, meaning they tried to protect people from doing the wrong thing. How's that? The natural way of a person is to come back from the field after working in the day in the field, come back at night. I'll go home, have a little bite to eat, drink a little bit, I'll take a little nap. And then afterwards, I will read Kriyachma, I'll say Kriyachma, and I will daven. What happens? A person comes back from a long day of work, eats a little bit, drinks a little bit, like on Friday night by the Shabbos meal, and then what happens? The person falls asleep, he gets overcome by drowsiness, and then he ends up sleeping the entire night. Aval, what should a person do? Adam He comes home at night. He goes into Shul. So again, he's coming back at night before it's time for Kriyat Shema. So in order to wait around for the time period when it's good to say Kriyat Shema, then he should learn a little bit. He should go in. If he knows how to learn Tanakh, he should learn Tanakh. And if he knows how to learn Mishnayot, he should also learn Mishnayot. Then, And then, when it comes to the time when he can say Kriyachma, he reads Kriyachma, does the mitzvah Kriyachma, mitpalel, and then he davens. Then he goes home. Then he eats his meal, and then has his bracha, and then he can go to sleep. And now the Gemara adds on, Anybody who violates the words of the Chachamim is worthy of death. Why is there such a strong statement being made here that we don't find in any other place with the Garbe Dine Durabanan, laws that the Rabbanan enacted? We hear he say that he's worthy of the death penalty if he doesn't follow the Dinim of the Rabbanan. Some people say because of power of sleep to overcome the individual is so strong that the Chachamim wanted to give an extra punch to their words so people don't succumb to going to sleep, but rather follow the protocol here so they actually say, Or it's to undermine the position of the one who says that 
Ma'ariv is really optional and is not an obligation. It's a makhluk we're going to see later on in the Gemara between Rav and Rav Yochanan as to whether Ma'ariv is an optional tefillah or whether it's an obligatory tefillah. We will see later on how we paskin and how we deal with that, but here the Gemara says that this brayta is coming to indicate to us that Ma'ariv is a chovah, is an obligation. And that's why the Chamim use such strong words to indicate that Ma'ariv is an obligatory tefillah and not to just take it lightly. Tosafot points out over here something that is the halacha, which is mikan mashma she misha shikia zman kriyachma at the time period when you already reached the obligation to say kriyachma shalayla she ainlo lechosuda achikra kriyachma vitzbalalavit. Person may not eat or sit down to a meal until they have completed the mitzvah of kriyachma and davin. It's true of all mitzvah deoraita any Torah obligation. One may not eat or do any other activity before they complete that obligation minat Torah. So at nighttime, that includes the mitzvah of Kriyachma. Sometimes we say the same thing by mitzvah Torah Banan, but it's definitely true by mitzvah Doraita, that we tell the person, make sure you first have accomplished the mitzvah Doraita, and then afterwards you take care of all your needs or whatever you need to do in the evening. Now today, where people go to Minyanim at a fixed time, you can avoid that problem. So even though a person normally davens Mairev at, say, 9.30 at night, they always go to the same minyan for Mairev, if it's already a part of their night routine, then we can assume that they can eat beforehand. Because they know every night they always go to Davin at 9.30. They have a set time, they know they're going to do it then, and that's something that they do not miss. On the other hand, if a person doesn't have that, then they would have to make sure to Davin Mairev and say Kriyachma before they got involved in other activities. So we have this in general with Mitzvah Doraita, it's particular to Kriyachma at nighttime, when sometimes it's difficult because it's nighttime, that a person should make sure that they make the mitzvah of Kriyat Shemitah right before they tend to their own needs or before they eat, unless they have a minion kavua or they have someone else there to remind them, ensure them to say Kriyat at the proper time. And when the time comes to say Kriyat that they actually do that. Okay, now the Gemara continues here. Vamamar, Kriyat Kriyat Umit Palel. The Brayta says that a person first reads Kriyat and then Davin Shemitah Esri. Misayale, the Rabbi Yochanan. This helps or supports the position of Rabbi Yochanan and Machloket. We're going to see in one second between Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Shua ben Levi. Tam Rabbi Yochanan is ben Olam who is a person who is worthy of Olam Abba. Zeh somech geula l'tevila shel arvit. That's someone who makes sure to have the bracha of geula of Gal Yisrael prior to his davening the Shmon Esrei of Ma'ariv. Rabbi Shua ben Levi Omer tefilot be'emzatiknum. The Rabbi Shua ben Levi says that tefilot were actually placed in the middle. Maik be'maik meflegei. What is this machloka between Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi premised on? Some say it's based on a pasuk. Some say it's a logical argument. The logical argument is that there was also a geula at night. When they left Mitzrayim, the geula began at night time, and then it was finished in the morning time. At night time, it was a partial geula. But the full freedom that was granted to the Jews and their ability to leave Mitzrayim only took place in the morning. So therefore, there is a din of smichat gula tefillah both at night time and during the day. Just that during the day, it's going to have more strength to it and we'll come back and discuss why that is or what bearing that has. Since they only really went out of Mitzrayim in the morning time, there is no real geula until the morning. And therefore, there's only a din of smichot geula letfila in the morning, not at night time. And others say that it's a pasuk that differentiates their opinion. They both learned it from the pasuk by 
Shema dichtei b'shoch b'cho uv kumecha. Rabbi Yochanan Sevar mikish shchiva d'kima. Draws a parallel between going to sleep and getting up in the morning. Ma kima kriyat shema v'achakach tevila. Just like when you get up in the morning, you say kriyat shema first, and then you daven shemona esrei af shchiva nami. So what do at night when you go to sleep? Kriyat shema v'achakach tevila. First you say kriyat shema, and then you daven shemona esrei. Shulben Levi Sevar mikish shchiva d'kima. That it also runs a parallel between going to sleep and getting up. Ma kima kriyat shema samoch tamitato. Just like in the morning where kriyat shema is near the time that you awoke, so too when you go to sleep, so too when you go to sleep, the Kriyat Shema at night should be the closest thing to when you go to sleep, meaning that Kriyat Shema are the bookends, and the Shema Nesrei's are in between. So Meitiv Mar Bered Ravina asked the question, At night it says you make two brachot of the Birkot Kriyat Shema beforehand, and two after Kriyat Shema. V'yamart b'yilismoch, According to you, Rabbi Yochan, who says that you need to begin the Shemona Esrei after you complete the bracha of Ga'al Yisrael, well, now we have an interruption there. You have the second bracha of Kriyat Shema, that's afterwards. After Kriyat Shema at night time, we say the bracha of Ga'al Yisrael, and then we say another bracha of Ashkiveinu, Shemer Yisrael Da'ad. So Amre, so the Gemara says, came into Kino Rabbanu Ashkiveinu, since the Rabbanan instituted Ashkiveinu, it's Kigeula Rechdadami, it's almost an extension of the thematic Geulah that is found in Gal Yisrael. So it's not actually an interruption, but rather a continuation of the theme. And therefore, even after you finish Shomer Yisrael Da'ad, it's still called as Michot Geulah Litzfilah. And the Talmud Reino Yonah actually mentioned why is that. How do you know that Hashkiveno is really an extension of Geulah? They explained, B'Shashavar Hashem Lingofet Mitzrayim, when Hashem was coming over Mitzrayim in order to kill all the Bechorim, Ayu Mefachadim, the Jews were afraid. They were doubting to Hashem that he should keep his word. So that they should not allow the destruction to enter their house. Just like we saw in the previous Gemara, that even Tzadikim Gmurim always are worried that maybe they did something wrong. They will allow Hashem to punish them somehow or not be afforded the protection that Hashem had promised. So that, corresponding to that prayer that they had that night in Mitzrayim, the Chachamim instituted Hashkiveinu which is a general tefillah about protecting us from anything bad that happens and any mashchit that will come about. So that is almost like a zeicher l'tiyah mitzrayim, the geula of mitzrayim, and therefore it's an extension of the geula mi mitzrayim. Dilo temahochi, because if you do not answer that way, shachri deichem atzisamech. Even shachri we have a problem. V'amar Rabbi Yochanan, b'tchila omer Hashem tzvatai tiftach, u'lusof omer yudoratzonim refi. These are two psukim that we add onto the Shemona Esrei. They're not a part of the Shemona Esrei, but one is an introductory pasuk, which is Hashem Svatai Tiftach Ufi Yagiti Latecha, and there's a conclusionary pasuk, which is Yulor Atzoni Mefi Ve'Gionu Mifenecha Hashem Tzuri Ve'Goli. For this reason, Ella Hatam, what's the reason there? Came into Akinu Rabbanon the Meimar Hashem Svatai Tiftach. Since the Rabbanan instituted to make that the introductory pasuk, Ketfil Arich Tadamia. It's as if it's an extension of the Shemona Esrei. It's not that it's an interruption, but rather it becomes part and parcel of the Shmonesre. And for this reason, the Rav Soloveitchik was very makpid that when a person davens for the Tzibor, that they say the Pasuk Vashem Svatai Tiftach and Yudoratzon out loud, because as the Gemara says here, they are part of Tfilah Richto, they are part of Shmonesre itself. The Gemara says, Achanami. So Tobir came into the Kino Rabban on the Meimar Shkiveno, since they're the ones who instituted Kigeula Arichta Damyo. It becomes like an extension of the Geula. Tamir Reino Yonah have a nice interpretation of what is Hashem Svatai Tiftach, Ophiya Gid Techa. As they mention over here, it's also brought, if you look at the parish Rabbeinu Yonah, on the Sechet Avot, in Perak Aleph Mishnah Bet, he also brings a similar interpretation over there, 
probably a little more detail. And he says, We don't have the Beit HaMikdash. And we're not able to bring carbonate to ask for forgiveness for Hashem. We say Hashem's fatai tiptach for this reason. That our tefillot should be accepted like or the equivalent of a karban. Since it was instituted for the tefillah itself, it becomes part and parcel of the tefillah. And the Rebbeinu Yonah says that David Melech, who said this pasuk, said it after the chait of Bacheva. So after the Chet of Bacheva, where David felt that maybe Hashem would not accept his words, that he was not worthy to come before Hashem. So there he says, Hashem, Hashem, you should open up my mouth, and allow me to say your praises, that you should grant me the ability to come and stand before you, even though I've sinned, even though that I've done wrong, and I really cannot step before you anymore, because I need that forgiveness. So he asked for that pasuk in order to say that this tefillah should act in that way, and you should afford us the ability to still speak and say our words before you. And the conclusionary pasuk is, that we ask Hashem, even if we didn't have the exact proper thoughts, we haven't said everything we need, that Hashem should accept them as if we did everything correctly, as if we had brought everything in the proper manner. So these become bookends to the tefillah. And since they're part of the tefillah, they become like tefillah richto. And therefore, they do not interrupt or destroy this proximity of the brach of Gal Yisrael to Shmon Esrei. Now what is the greatness of being Somech Geula L'Tefillah? So here again, the Tamidei Rebbeinu Yonah bring two reasons for that, two nice reasons. One is the equivalent of what's brought in the Midrash. person here gives tremendous praise to a Kodesh Baruch Hu. He thanks Hashem for taking us out of Mitzrayim and for Ga'al Yisrael, the one who redeemed us. And then it's as if the person begins to entreat, and then he's like knocking on the door, and then when the king comes to answer the door, he runs away. So the proper thing to do is, one, you've, once you've knocked on the doors, to stay there and then to speak to the king. So that's the same thing over here. You say the brachot that lead into Shemona Esrei up to Gal Yisrael. You're giving praise to a Kodesh Baruch Once you're giving praise to Hashem, then you should stay there and then dive in before Hashem, enter into the palace, stand before Hashem, and that's what Shemona Esrei is. The more powerful explanation is the second explanation of the Talmud Irene Yonah, which is when we say Gal Yisrael, that shows our emunah, our belief in Hashem. And I believe in Hashem that He took B'nai Yisrael out of Mitzrayim, that He's able to perform miracles. And once we've affirmed our belief in Hashem and Hashem's ability to do what's needed in the world or do what's needed for us, then we entreat Hashem, we ask Him for things. We go into the Shemona Esrei and we request, request of Hashem. And that, the Tamir Rehono says, the ultimate form of Emunah, that we have bitachon in Hashem, that He will answer our requests and He can do what we ask. How do we know that? Because we have emunah, we believe what took place in Mitzrayim. We know that Hashem interceded in nature in order to change the course of nature to allow Bnei Israel to leave Mitzrayim with all those miracles. And so too, we believe Hashem can answer our tefillah today. And now we mention that redemption, that our forefathers believed in Hashem b'tzilam. And Hashem saved them mitpalel miyad. And he damns right away, nimsa shigam hubotayach bo. It shows that he believes in Hashem. Shanelto, that Hashem will answer him. Just like Hashem answered Bnei Israel in Mitzrayim, because they believed in him. That's why there's a din of smichat gula ikar haria And belief in Hashem is the fundamental of fear and faith in Hashem. And that's what gives him the reward of chayolam That's why this smichat gula is so fundamental and so important. Because it shows a person's relationship and his affirming of the relevance of Hashem in his life. This is very important because many people believe 
that when it comes to davening and davening Shmon Esrei, that why should Hashem listen? It's all these petty things. Oh, my little pekalach. Why do I need to come before Hashem and speak to Hashem about it? He doesn't have time for that. And that's the exact wrong attitude. That's exactly what Smicha Gula Tefillah says, is that that's not our belief. Our belief is that Hashem is involved in the day-to-day details of everything in our lives. And that there is Hashkach HaPratit. And that Hashem is involved in the world. And that affirmation comes from having the Smichut Gula Tefillah of Gal Yisrael Tishmon And therefore, the more we request of Hashem, the more they believe that Hashem is listening to us and that we can speak to Hashem, ask Hashem for things, and communicate with Hashem, that's a greater evidence to the fact that we really believe in Hashem and Hashem's relevance to us in this world. All right, beyond that, all the Rishonim have to deal with the same thing over here, which is the problem of what happened in the Galut. Over here, the Gemara asks, we have two brachot before, two brachot afterwards, and then the Gemara says, what about after Gali Solyar Shkiveinu? Gemara answers, that's Gula Richtahi. But we know that we actually have another bracha after that. We have the bracha that was added on of Yuri Neinu. And so what do we do with that? How do we deal with that bracha that's afterwards, which is a, a second bracha not mentioned in the Gemara, that was added later on. It was added in order to cause a delay in the davening, so those people who came late could catch up in the davening. And by catching up in the davening, then they would all be able to leave together because it was nighttime and their bate knesiot were out in the field. And it will give time for those who came late to catch up and to walk out together. So that extra bracha that was added on, how do we deal with that in terms of smichot gu'ula letfila? So there are a number of approaches to dealing with this. One is to say the same thing that we said by the bracha of Ashkivenu, that it's really gu'ula achrichta. It's all a part. Since the were metakin it, it becomes a part of the gu'ula achrichta of the extension. That's one way to deal with it. The other way to deal with it is that it's premised on the position that tefillah darvit is reshut. That my is an optional tefillah and not an obligatory tefillah. And since it's an optional tefillah, then it makes the smichut geula tefillah to be not an obligation over here. So the problem with that is that later on in the Gemara we have this machloket about tefillah darvit chovah reshut. If we pass in that tefillah darvit is reshut, then we're going to have a stira in six piske alocha because we paskin that there is a din of smichat gulat tefillah both by shacharit and by mariv like Rabbi Yochanan over here. And if we paskin that tefillah darvit is reshut, that means now we have a contradiction in psak because you're saying that the whole psak here of smichat gulat tefillah is premised on tefillah darvit chovah. So because of that, Tosfot does not like that reasoning. But rather, he said something that is mentioned here but is more explicit in a Tosfot that's in the Gemara Megillah Dachof Gimel. Tosfot says it over there more explicitly. He says, why do we say a Chatzik Kaddish after we end the brachot of Kriyat Shema before we say Shmona Esrei? So there, the Gemara is speaking about Maftir. And there, the Maftir, the Gemara asks the question whether Maftir counts towards these seven Kuyim, the seven people you have to give Aliyot, or doesn't count. Tosfot asks over there, in our practice, where we say a Chatzik Kaddish and then we have Maftir, what's the question? Of course, Maftir doesn't count towards the seven because it's after the Chatzik Kaddish. So Tosfot says, that's why they instituted the Chatzik Kaddish. They instituted the Chatzik Kaddish to show that Maftir is not one of the seven aliyot. And he says, you know what that's just like? That's just like Maruf. Why do they institute Chatzikadish? To show you that there is no din of smichut geula litfila by Maruf time. That's what Tosfut says over here. The Tosfut Rosh over here, as well as the Tamidi Rebbeon Yonah, reject that understanding and say that it's not the case. Because they say that Tfilat Arvi was reshut, was actually optional. And the Iru Einenu, that bracha actually replaced Shmon Esrei. It's the equivalent of Shmon Esrei. And one of the reasons they mention it is because the Shem Hashem is mentioned 18 times in there. Connected the 18 brachot of Shmon Esrei. And what actually transpired when they instituted the Yerinenu was that they didn't daven Mariv. They didn't daven Shmon Esrei Mariv. The tefillah went like this. They had the two brachot of Kriyat Shema beforehand. 
The two brachot of Kriyat Shema afterwards, that was the completion of Kriyat Shema after Shemari Salat, and then they davened Iru Eneinu, the brach of Iru Eneinu, as the equivalent of Shemun Esrei, that replaced Shemun Esrei. And so when they said the Kaddish afterwards, that was the end of Tefillah, that's where davening ended. And because of that, they were actually so much because the Ureinenu was the equivalent of Davnik Shmaesra. It created the Smichud Geula Litfila. And therefore, the Tabina Reinona brings down the minhog of the Rabino Yonos Rebbe, the Ramban, not to say Ureinenu. He didn't say it because he felt if we're already going to say Shmonesra, you're saying the same thing twice. You're saying Shmonesra over twice. So why would you do that? And that is the minhog of Gra today, that in Eretz Yisrael, they don't say that Brocha as the Groh feels that that brocha was instituted in place of Shmoneser. If you're going to say Shmoneser, you don't need to say that brocha. And therefore, in Eretz Yisrael, they do not say that brocha, but rather go straight into Shmoneser. There was also one argue that the Kaddish itself, which is Kiddush Shem Shemayim, is also part of the Gu'ul Arichta, because we still say that Chatzik Kaddish there. That's one important halacha that all the Rishonim deal with over here. The second important halacha that comes out of it, we'll come probably back to it later in the Gemara, when we deal more in depth with Smichot Gula Tefillah, which is the source for Smichat Gula Tefila, which the Gemara will deal with later on, but also this difference between Shacharit and Arvit. Even Rabbi Yoch, who says that Smichat Gula Tefila is an obligation both in Shacharit and Arvit, he sees them at different levels. He sees that Shacharit is definitely Smichat Gula Tefila, and then you have a quasi Smichat Gula Tefila at Mariv, because they part of the Gula began at night. And there is a Nafkamina in that, Lalocha. And that Nafkamina is when you have competition between different variables. For instance, if a person has a choice of davening with a minion, or a person has to say, Smichut Gula Litfila. So when it comes to Shacharit, Smichut Gula Litfila is an absolute obligation. And there we're going to tell a person, if he came late to Shul, and he has a choice now of starting and davening Shmoneser with the Tzibor, or starting from beforehand and doing Smichut Gula Litfila, we're going to say, forfeit your ability to daven with the minion, and do Smichut Gula Litfila, because it's an absolute obligation. That is not true at Mariv. It's different at Mariv time. If a person walks in late, to Shul and Mariv, because the Smichot Gula Tefillah at Mariv time is less of an obligation, either because Tefillah Tarvid is a Rishut, according to some of these Mishonim, or because as Rabbi Yochanan states over here, it wasn't the full-fledged Geula until the morning. Therefore, if a person is in competition between davening with a minion, meaning saying Shmanesri with the Tzibor, or going back and starting from the beginning and doing Smichot Gula Tefillah, we're going to opt for you to daven with the Tzibor. And therefore, if you walk in late in Mariv time, better to daven Shmanesri with the Tzibor, and then go back afterwards and say the Birkot Kriyat Shema and lose out on Smichot Gula Litfila. So even according to Rabbi Yochanan, there is a nafkamina between the two different types of Smichot Gula Litfila here, the one of Shacharit and the one of Marif. Okay, now the Gemara continues. Any person who says Ashrei three times a day is Muftach, he's promised that he'll be a Ben Olam Abba. My time, huh? What's the reason for this? So the three times are connected to the three tefilot, although technically we say Ashrei twice in Shacharit, and once at Mincha time, to get the three that we do each day. But what's the reason? Because if you look at Ashrei, it's an acrostic that has the first letter of the Aleph Bet begin each Pasuk. So name Ashrei Tvim Ederach. Then why don't you say Tilim Kufyutet? Tilim Kufyutet, Achibetamya Apin. It has eight of each letter. That's the Tilim that they use when they want to say Tilim to spell out someone's name. But there, every letter has eight times that letter, has Aleph eight times. So going to be a bet eight times. So going to be eight times. So if you want to think that that's the main reason, then do Kufyutet. Why are you saying Ashrei as the Tehilim that gets you that? The real reason is because it has that Pesach of the fact that Hashem is the one who sustains the world. 
it's both a request and an acknowledgement that Hashem is the one who provides for all the creatures in the world. So then, if that's the case, name a halala gadol. Why don't you say halala gadol, which references is hodul Hashem kitov kilam chasto? And there, when we say it on Shabbat, you know that it has the pasuk notain lechem the chol basar that Hashem provides for all. So why do you have to say Ashrei? Say that. It has both of these reasons. And it both has the fact that it's in the order of the Aleph Bet, as well as the fact that it has this fundamental of our belief, that Hashem is the sustainer and the provider for all those in the world. The Maral says, and I've heard also from Rav Soloveitchik Zetzal as well, that what's this issue of the Aleph Bet? Why is that so important? The answer is that the Gemara, both in Brachot and speaks about in Megillah as well, is that it's very difficult in terms of dealing with Hashem. If one praises Hashem or speaks about Hashem, the Gemara there says, how, how can you ever stop praising Hashem? Is there any limit to the praise of Hashem? And if you begin to praise Hashem, then how can you stop? So the only models or paradigms that we can use in terms of praising Hashem is either to use psukim that already exist or praises that already exist in the Torah, or to use some sort of natural order that will end not because we've finished with our praises of Hashem, but because the order has ended. And that's what the alphabet does. It sets out for us that there will only be 22 letters, so there are going to be 22 praises of Hashem that are limited not by our praise of Hashem, but limited by the number of letters in the alphabet. And because of that, we use that methodology for praise of Hashem in order not to get into this problem of how did you stop? How could you stop praising Hashem? The answer is that I never, I did it. My intentions at first were just to get through the Aleph Bet. And by doing that, the termination is, is self-imposed because of the Aleph Bet and not because I have ended my praise of Hashem. So having both this fundamental of belief inside of the Ashray as well as doing the full Aleph Bet, those together make Ashray such an important tefillah. And that's why, again, halachically, that person comes late to shul that if they have to skip things in Pesukhet Zimra, the item that takes paramount uh, importance is Ashrei. That's the thing, the one thing that you can't skip, that you have to say, is Ashrei between Baruch Shemar and Ishtabach. So the Gemara continues and says, Why isn't Nun mentioned? If you go through the alphabet in Ashrei, the Nun is actually missing. It's the only letter that's missing. Because it has, this is a, what's called Lashon Sagi Nohar. This is really a euphemism for the fact that it describes, Nun describes the destruction not of the enemies of Israel, but of B'nai Israel themselves. We have a pasuk somewhere else that says, Nafla lo tosif kum b'tulat Israel. That B'nai Israel will fall down, and they will not stand up again. In Eretz Israel, they used to deal with this pasuk in a different way. Meaning that if you don't have the trup, and you don't have the nikudot in the pasuk, you can actually parse it in two different ways. You can say, Nafla, B'nai Israel fell, lo tosif kum b'tulat Israel. They will no longer get up. But in Eretz Yisrael, they parsed the Pesach differently and said this, Nafla So that they parsed it like this, that they fell, but you will no longer fall. The Lotosif is modifying the Nafla. So therefore, Nafla Lotosif, you will no longer fall. Rather, Kum Yisrael, get up. B'nai Yisrael, you're going to get up and you will no longer fall down again. So either they answered the problem of that Pesach by reparsing it. But Rabbi Yochanan says that if you learn the Pesach as it's Pashtut, the way it's laid out in the trup, then it turns out that B'nai Israel, the Noan talks about the Mapilah, the falling of B'nai Israel, which we didn't want to mention in Ashrei. Nevertheless, David Baruch HaKodesh ends up hinting to this fact, because the next passage, which is Noan Samech, what's Samech? Sumech Hashem, the Cholon Hashem 
supports all those that fall down. So David Melch hinted to this understanding of that pasuk that the Nun was really about the falling of Bnei Israel, and the Samech is about the support of Bnei Israel, taking care of Bnei Israel, but also somewhat forces us over to the interpretation of, Bnei, of the Bnei Eretz Israel. That's the idea that the falling is not permanent, but rather Hashem will help us to get up again. Amr Abelazar Bar Avina Gadol Mashinemar B'Michael. So Amr Abelazar Bar Avina. Then now over here you see it's Amr Abelazar Bar Avina. In the previous memory it said Amr Abelazar Amr Rabbi Avina. So many say that before it should have been Amr Abelazar Bar Avina to match up because these are two memories that are bought both from the same individual. Gadol Mashinemar Michael Yoter Mashinemar Gavriel. That the something greater was said by the Malach Michael than that of Gabriel. Deal with Michael by the Malach says They flew towards me, one of the Srafim, one of those heavenly Avadim of Hashem. Vilu Gabi Gabriel, by Gabriel says Tivaish Gabriel Shiraiti Bhazon, the Gabriel who I saw in my vision, Bitchila Mauf Biaif. That he flew, but it uses the verb Yaif twice. So it sounds like by Michael, with one flight, he was able to get all the way there. Whereas by Gabriel, it uses the verb twice, sounds like he had to take two flights to reach. By Mashmadai, Echad Michael. Okay, by Gabriel, it says his name specifically. But uh, how do you know by Yovelai Echad? How do you know that Echad was referencing Michael? So the word Echad Echad, teaches us that that Posuk in Ishayahu is referencing Michael. Tana Michael Bachat, Gabriel Bishtaim, exactly what we said here. Michael takes one hop to get there. Gabriel takes two hops. Eliyahu Ba'arba, Eliyahu takes four hops. Malachamovit Shmona takes eight hops. Bushat Magifa. In a time when there's a plague or Hashem gives permission to the Malachamovit to attack, then Bachat, he can hop, make that one hop. He's empowered to be as great as these Malachim of Hashem like Michael. So I'm Rabbi Shubin Levi, Avvi Shakra, Adam Kriyachma Beit Knesset, even though a person says Kriyachma at Shul at night, Mitzvah Lekroto Al Mitato. There's a Mitzvah to say Kriyachma Al Mito. I'm Rayosi Maikro. Where do you know that from? The Pasuk says, Rigzu, Vial Techetau, Imru Bilvavchem, Amishkavachem, Vedom Musela. So that you should be Berogez, meaning that you should be in trepidation, Vial Techetau, don't sin. Commune with Hashem in your hearts, on your beds, with Domusel, and then be silent. So the idea of being that Al Mishkavachem and Imru Bilvavchem, Rashi says, Bilvavchem refers to Alevavecha. Al Mishkavachem says, Bushach Bechov Kumecha. So say Kriyachma, and then with Domusel, and then be silent. When are you silent? When you go to sleep. If you're a Tamar Chacham, you don't need to say Kriyachma Lamita. Why? Because Rashi says, Since he's always going over his Torah and his mind, it's the equivalent of saying something for Hashem. But nevertheless, still has to make one beseechment of Hashem that he should take care of him. Like, That I'm giving over my spirit to you, Hashem. I'm giving my neshama over to you. You'll redeem me, Hashem, the true Hashem. Just an acknowledgement that Hashem should be the one that takes care of us and protect us at night. So even though he may not need all the other psukim, because he's already a suk b'torah, nevertheless he still has to make that request for Rachmi Meit Hashem at night. Okay, we'll stop over here.